Yeah. Oh, yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's not 7.30 yet. It's supposed to start at 7.30, right? It will be 7.30. To be fair to the ones who make an effort to come, we, we should honour that. So since we say it's 7.30, we'll start at 7.30, okay? So, how is everyone? Since we are early, let's honour the triple gems first. Can I invite you to close your eyes? And we pay our respect to the triple gems. Good job. 
as captured by his students, his disciples, soon after his Parinibbana. So this is something that he said and he explained how it's done. So it didn't come from me, it came from the Buddha. Okay? I think that's fairer for you since many of you are students interested in scholastic pursuits. Okay. And I'm also going to do it in um, two ways. I'm going to show you that it's not just heaven that we're talking about. There is, because there is a heaven, there has to be the diametrical opposite, right? There is a hell. And this is not the only sutta where the Buddha talk about hell. In this one, he didn't elaborate on what hell looks like. There were other suttas in Anguttaranikaya where he actually described some of the features of hell. But we don't want to go into that today. Okay? Today we just go into how the journey. And the reason why today is about the journey is because I want to share with you what the Buddha said about how to get it right. So that you don't end up willy-nilly in the wrong destination. If you want to go to hell, then you do the opposite. If there is not what you have in mind, then this, this is for you. Okay? So we start with how to get it really wrong. You know, we, we are familiar with this, this expression of do good, do no evil, purify the mind as a teacher of all Buddha, right? Yes? No? Ah, you are familiar with it. Are you familiar then with what is doing good and what is doing, what abstaining from doing bad? Are you familiar with that? Not so resounding, yes, huh? After, after this session, it would be a resounding yes. Two points to be understood from the first stanza. I know, how many of you read suttas? Show hand. So many, I'm surprised. <laughs> you guys are not other students, how about so few? Okay. Now, if you read suttas, you will be familiar with how sometimes it is a little bit difficult to understand what is written. Sounds a little convoluted. Not surprising. It is translated from a different language. Hence, some degree of convolution. The convolution is the result of people trying to, the translators trying to keep it as faithful as possible to the original. And I strongly recommend the translation done by this monk. This is Rikubodi's translation. My, uh, having studied those translations, my own, my own uh, bias Opinion, my assessment is his translation is by far the most accurate. Based on, uh, in terms of how closely he holds it to the original language. Okay? Buddha said, be cool. I do not say that there is a termination, evolutional karma that has been done and accumulated so long as one has not experienced its results, in bracket, huh? 
and that may be in this very life and the next rebirth or so on some subsequent occasion. What does this sentence mean? A couple of words I want to point out here. Note the word volitional karma. Karma is not, I repeat, karma is not a boomerang from the past. It is not things that happen per se. That is typically our fixation. But when the Buddha talks about karma, he talks about action. Choices that you make, and just in case you don't get it, you throw in the word volitional. Meaning, choices that you make with intention deliberately. And the point here is, if you have not experienced the consequences of choices that you make, and then you pass on, it doesn't mean it's over. That's what that sentence means. Meaning, the choices that you make, skillful or otherwise, wholesome or otherwise, they can, they can. It's not that they will, they can follow you to the next birth, to subsequent births. That's what this sentence means. Then he said, but I do not say that there is making an end of suffering so long as one has not experienced the volitional karma that has been done accumulated. In other words, you can still realize Nibbana, you can still understand the Dhamma, even if the consequences of your action, you haven't quite felt the consequences yet. What does it mean? You and I know that we are not perfect, yes? If you are perfect, don't, don't feel compelled to answer the question. <laughs> okay? Well, you and I know we are not perfect. And you and I know that we have done good, and sometimes we have done things we are not proud of. Yes? Honestly. Yes. Yeah? Okay. Are you worried then that all those actions you have done may catch up with you in a big way? Yes. Yes. Seriously? You guys so bad. Huh? <laughs> I was expecting no. <laughs> okay. What this step, statement means is, even if you have not in your own mind paid back, it doesn't matter. You can still have the wisdom to realize. Think of the case of Angulimala. He killed so many people. For those of you who are not familiar with the story of Angulimala, which is a surprise, uh, he is history's most prolific serial killer. We believe he killed uh, how many? Uh, hundreds. Yeah, like you believe lah. That means he has to work very hard for a, a day, you know. 365 days a year, assuming he works every day, he has to take three years like, to reach target of 1,000. Actually, more than three years, huh? Okay, never mind. The point, the point is, he killed many people. And yet, in that, life start, in that lifetime, he still realized. That means to say, 我们宣布有救. 
because you can't be worse than I'm good in my life. Agree? Ah, so that's important, okay? It's important to know that whatever that you have done, there must be a way in which you learn to let it go. That I will tell you later. But in the meantime, this sentence tells you, this sentence tells you that it's okay. Whatever that you have done, whatever come what it may be, accept it. We will just practice. You can still understand. You can still feel liberated, realize the bhavana, be happy, and so on. Okay? Now, go on to the main parts. What are the things that we do which will end up leading you to hell? Let's start with that first. I could easily have just tell you don't kill, don't steal, don't tell lies and stuff like that. Why is it that I bring out the stanza in the sutta for you to see? And the reason is because you need to understand how he said it for, how, for what it is. Not your assumption, not what somebody else told you or taught you, but what the Buddha said. And that's what you need to bear in mind. So you don't go off with all kinds of funny ideas. First, he pointed out that there are these bodily actions that you perform through body, speech or mind. Three of them through action, four of them through speech, three of them through mind. In other words, it's all in your head. It never came out. That also kena. Okay? <laughs> and with regards to the three by the body, look at how the Buddha said it. Someone destroys life, is murderous, bloody-handed, given to blows and violence, merciless to living beings. In other words, from this one statement here, it means the person has already made it a habit to kill. Murderous is a state of mind. It's not a one-off action. Bloody-handed, he has done it so many times. Given to blows and violence, given to implies a certain habit, possibly even a delight. Merciless is an attitude. Merciless is an attitude. You can be merciless, but yet you didn't kill. You lack compassion. You lack empathy. You, so by this one statement, it is not about you killing that poor cockroach. <laughs> You're going to hell because you killed one cockroach. Die, I killed one more cockroach, the wife. <laughs> Husband and wife cockroaches. I am also just exterminate kids as well. It's not that. It is that your mind is beginning to take some kind of surreal delight. Perhaps Done it once, can do it again. Just look at your own mind. When you start to take a life, regardless, he's not saying, huh? he says destroys life. He didn't say destroy human life. So any lives does count. You destroy an animal life, also counts. Then the question is, how do you do it? How often do you do it? Why did you do it? And so on and so forth. 
Why is this a problem? Because the moment you start to take some delight in taking life, your mind has become very cross, heavy, stained, merciless. You, even if you have not killed, you know you have no compassion. Your mind is cold. A cold mind is also a heavy mind. You understand? This is not about an action. This is about a state of mind that, it, that you possess. It's not about what you do or didn't do per se. It's a state of mind. But of course, if your state of mind is gross and heavy, it comes out in terms of killing. You take it a bit further, which will come on. Huh? Just bear this point in mind. Heavy mind, gross mind, just bear this point in mind. I'll show you it will appear again. Okay? Takes what's not given, you steal from people. Pretty straightforward. This is an action. It doesn't go into too much detail because this is not so much a heavy mind, this is a greedy mind. A greedy mind is a normal mind, unfortunately. All of us, if you watch your mind very carefully, all of us have points of wanting. This one, out of control. Wanting, wanting, and take things that doesn't belong to him. You understand? Most of us have wanting in us. And it is typical of a human mind. For someone to get to a state where he gives, for someone to get to a state where he starts to give, the mind turns lighter. Otherwise, the mind is not like, but one thing. So you keep having this sense of, I want. Feel it, it gets worse. You feed it and feed it and feed it, it becomes a habit. Okay? In this particular case, it got overboard. So from just one thing, he go take. For most of us, we keep it at just one thing. The law restrains us. And maybe our conscience. Third, engages in sexual misconduct. Look at how Buddha said it. Has sexual relations with women who are protected by their parents siblings, relatives. Meaning to say, now in ancient time, for a woman to remain under the protection of the family, this woman is likely to be relatively young, under age, or they're married, or they're too old really. <laughs> it's true, okay? Protected by the Dhamma, they are practitioners. They are practitioners, they try to maintain a pure life. Then you go touch them. So not nice. <laughs> Someone who is married, whose violation entails a penalty. This is a Buddha doing what we call covering everything. Because many things can violate entails a penalty. Eh? One who is really engaged. So anyone who is already taken, who is still under age, who has chosen to observe a pure life, you can't touch these people. Okay? So this is relatively straightforward, we don't go to, into too much detail. You look at where the speech comes in. Speaking falsehood, summoned before a council, an assembly, when people ask you and question you for what you know, 
you tell the opposite, factual opposite. Look what what did the Buddha say? Tell what you know. Not knowing, he says, I know. Or knowing, he says, I do not know. Not seeing, he says, I see. And when he does see, meaning he has witnessed something, he said, I didn't see. So he is deliberately providing factually incorrect information. And he does it consciously for a purpose. For purpose. So with intention, you deliberately provide information you know to be false. Then you are telling a lie. Providing information you know to be false. Suppose, let's say you don't know. You just joke it all up, but you don't know. Okay? And you, all you got wrong, you don't, sorry, not that you don't know, you, you know that you got a wrong piece of information. You were picking up wrong information, but you believe that they were correct. And then you go tell someone, oh, it will happen like this. As far as your concern is factual. But it is actually incorrect. But it doesn't matter. You had no intention to tell a lie. And therefore, the result of what you said in your mind, you're not staying. So don't end up then berating yourself and flagellating yourself for making a mistake. Do you understand the difference between a factual thing and a mistake? You know, huh? Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about this one. Pisuna Vacha. Speak divisively. Look at what the Buddha said. Having heard something here, you repeat it somewhere else in order to divide. There are two things here. You repeat broadcast with intention. The intention is to split people. So you are someone who divides those who are not. You deliberately create problems. You enjoy all this discord. You delight when they fight. You will say, mm, I'm not like that. You know, this is one of the kind of issues I always encounter. First, you've got to ask yourself, surrounding you, in your world, whether it's in your family, or in your office, or in relationships that you go into, do you constantly find that people are fighting, huh? People are fighting, is it because of you, huh? Because you seem to be the only common denominator, huh? I don't know, maybe you are what we call swear. <laughs> or maybe our society is so disturbed, you know? Everyone is so opinionated, everyone has a view and therefore they fight. Maybe it's nothing to do with you. But be careful. It may well be you. You think you're doing someone a favor by telling him what people said. And then he turns around and then go and take up arms against those guys because of what he heard. 
And there you have it, willy-nilly creating vile, divisiveness. This, this particular one can have it mild, which is, I don't mean to, but it happened. Or it can have it really serious, I mean to, and it happened. You understand? So you, if you come around and say that, hey, I never do anything, man. I never told him that it happened. What they said. <laughs> you are accidental divisiveness. <laughs> you understand that? Why is this a problem? For someone to want to create this core, your mind has anger. For sure. If you say, my mind has no anger, no, I have no hatred, then you also need to study a little bit more on something called self-awareness. <laughs> you cannot possibly be happy in a situation where people fight, or you are comfortable in a situation where people fight, if in your heart you don't already have some resentment, some bosomness, if you don't have that, you wouldn't create problems. Or problems wouldn't start because of you. I'll put it that way. I'll sort of say you create. Uh -huh. If you have a lot of love, a lot of kindness, a lot of metta, then the opposite will happen, which we will, which we will discuss later. Okay? So bear in mind this point. Huh? Speaks harshly, utters words which are rough, Hard, hateful, hurtful, offensive, bordering on anger, unconducive to concentration. Now, I know that we all, well, okay, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that we all are quite peace loving, right? We're quite peace loving. Yeah? Anybody disagree? <laughs> yeah, okay. And we usually don't like quarrels, right? Eh? 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 But sometimes we can't, we, can't, we can't hold ourselves back and a word blurts out. Right? This one, the underlying, the underlying instinct has to be anger. Has to be. And in any form of motivation underpinned by dosa, your mind is heavy, gross. It will be heavy and it will be gross. I will speak a little bit more about what it means when it's heavy and gross, okay? So, for people at the receiving end of those words, it breaks their ability to focus, okay? Even for you, if your mind is always angry, it is also not easy to focus. Unless you're focusing on hatred, hatred, hatred. Which is a very bad focus. It is Micha's mind. Okay? And finally, we talk about indulging in idle chatter. This one has different parts. Speaking at an improper time, speak falsely, 
speak what is unbeneficial, speak contrary to the Dhamma and the, and the Vinaya. In proper time, speak words which are worthless, unreasonable, rambling, unbeneficial. So what are the key points here that we should bear in mind? Number one, when do you say something? When matters. Hence the Buddha used the word, speak at an improper time. Number two, what you are saying, content of what you are saying, matters. So, contrary to Dharma discipline, it's content. Things that are worthless, unreasonable, rambling, content. What you say matters. How you say matters. Unbeneficial. So if you look at this whole four of them, what does the Buddha say? At the point when you open your mouth to speak, let it be a proper time, meaning it's the correct moment to make your point. Let it be pleasant. Avoid speaking harshly. Let it be beneficial. Whatever that comes out serves a purpose. For the recipient. See, not for user purpose. This, I have to say it and make it clear because many of us, we think we're saying for the person that's good, eh? How come he doesn't show precision? Huh? Huh? Have you encountered this before? Oh, no, no, not that you say people, people see you. Huh? Have you been at the receiving end of well-meaning people? Have. I tell you, have. Sometimes, you do you sit down there, do nothing, also have. It will come at you. Uh, maybe you should be doing this, huh? <laughs> Normal, okay? So, something that's beneficial, something that is the appropriate time to speak, that it is pleasant, that it is beneficial, and that it is true, not false. What is said is true, beneficial, how it is said in a pleasant manner. Okay? And finally, you have the mental karma. Threefold corruption and failure of mental karma arising from unwholesome volition having a painful outcome and result. Finally, I read the entire sentence. Threefold corruption and failure of mental karma. This is all in the mind. You didn't even release it from your mouth. It didn't come out in your action. It's only in your mind. And therefore, you are the only one who know who's there and what's there. And it doesn't matter if it comes up. Unwholesome volition means motivated either by loba, dosa, or moha. In this particular group, I don't need to translate into English. Right? Dosa, moha, sorry, moha, loba, dosa, and moha. Motivated by any one of them, you perform a mental action, a mental karma, it will have all kinds of attendant impact. What does it mean? 
where I will stop and make this point. Every time you want to do something, be clear in your mind. Is there anger? Is there craving, greed, wanting? Is there a certain silliness in your mind that prompts you to want to do it or say it? Buddha taught his monks to go down to the level of clarity in watching the mind. Know what is driving your urges, in other words. Know what's driving it. Many a time, we, earlier on I mentioned, right? When you say something beneficial, it's for that person, it's not for you. Think about the number of times when you thought you were saying something beneficial. Why is he losing his temper? But your beneficial was motivated by your ego. It was ego that prompted you to say something, even though you thought it was for his own good. You see what I'm saying? And you didn't realize what's ego? Ego not mobile, not was like, yeah, yeah, but it's mohalo. Ego is your mohalo. Why is ego a moha? You've got no moha, there won't be ego. Because if there is no moha, you would have understood Anisha Dutta Anatta. No Anatta, no moha. You understand that? But as long as you have, you cannot be sure. Just think twice before you open your mouth and whack. Just, just be a bit careful. Huh? Okay, why does it necessarily that when you're doing something for someone's own good, nah, will have a painful outcome? Nah, why? Nah? Well, the immediate rebuttal is the person's bite back. Nah? You say things for his own good, he say things for your own good. Nah? Then for each other own good, we all tonight cannot sleep. Nah? Certainly not so good because we cannot sleep, ma. You see what I'm saying? So, okay, that is an immediate outcome. What's a longer term outcome? I every day also say things for his own good, eh? He every day also wants to listen to me, eh? Then, after a while, the marriage is also very difficult, oh. Painful now, painful later. Then, die already still angry. Painful coming up. A lot of pain unnecessary. Okay, you can have that kind of very um, uh, simple situation. Or you can have a more complex one. I'll give you an example. In an office setting, you are you have a you have a um, heavy responsibility or so you think like you're very important. The whole office will collapse without you. <laughs> yeah, because we're all like that, right? Yeah, I understand that. And then and then you worry. You worry and you worry and you worry. You see, worry is not normal, not dosa, no moha. No, sorry. Worry, yeah. You will only you will worry only when there is loba and when there is moha. And sometimes dosa comes in after you get worried. Okay? Worry is motivated by loba. How? It's because it's something that you want, and that is why you worry. If that thing that you you want it so badly, I want my boy to get full marks. Why you only got 99 so blur? So you worry a lot. 
if you're the parent who say it's okay lah, he got 51 month, one more than us man. <laughs> so anytime he goes to exam, you won't worry about it for sure. You see what I'm saying? You think of all the things you're worried about, they are all to do with something you want. Conversely, it may well be something you don't want. And I've always said this, every one of my students here, one or no one is... Hello? Duka. Want or don't want is one. It's I want this or I want not this. Boduka. So the worry... Now, why is worry a painful outcome? But because uh, when you worry a lot, uh, you can get gastric or high blood pressure. Uh, you have all kinds of health problems which you have to carry. And if worry becomes a habit, it will really stain the mind. It will stain the mind. You can't have peace. How do we break worry? Story for another day. Know the Dhamma. Okay? Know the Dhamma, you know how to break it. Okay, so the three mental volition, mental karma, are longing, he longs, he actually is coveting, avarice. You want it, you want it, and your heart goes, Cantonese, uh, low, 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 to sink. You want something, it sinks right there. You want it, you want it, the energy builds up. It's a sinking one. A mind of ill will, intent, you haven't even do, you haven't even do anything. But your mind is filled with anger, ill will. Mind of ill will, intention of hate. You just wish for someone's death. You will say, oh, I'm not like that one. Ah, but remember that day when you were angry, right? And then in your mind, you couldn't help, you couldn't help wishing ill. If you say it has never happened, congratulations, you're a really good person. If you say, ah, yeah, well, it's true, la. It, it didn't quite happen, but it quite happened. Like, I'm not quite sure what it means. You see, you know, when people, how the mind works, when someone, displeases you, you will say, ah, you displease me, sure, kena. Okay. No need say anything, sure, kena is really kena. <laughs> Meaning your mind already has that anger. That is ill will. It is that subtle, okay? It is that subtle. It didn't come out of your mouth. Someone cut your leg. What, like that? I feel only accident one. That in itself is already an anger. Did you see it arise? Did you let it go? Watch how your mind behaves. That's all it means. Be very careful about how the mind behaves as a matter of habit. Okay? And the last one, holds wrong view, has an incorrect perspective, nothing given, nothing sacrificed, nothing offered, no fruit, no reason. What in the, what in the world does all this thing mean? It means you hold the perspective that there is no such thing as karma. 
There's no such thing as heaven and hell. I do what I want. There is no consequences of my, for my to my choices. There are no consequences. Holding a view like this, you see, uh, this is not just idea. Uh, you know, when we say view, the word view, unfortunately, the word view in English sounds a little uh, unimportant. Why? Because we hold so many views, ma, right? We have so many views. I have a view about who should be president, I have a view about where we should go to eat. So many views. So we don't take this word seriously. From the Buddha's use of this word, view perspective, it is almost like your mental framework. A mental framework that governs the way you behave. Because for the ones who are practitioners and meditators, if you are truly practitioners and meditators, you will learn to restrain as much as you can. Because in your mind, things come and go, what's that to hold to have is okay. You see what I'm saying? If you begin to hold that kind of a perspective, it will start to govern the way you live. This is a mental framework that governs the way you live. If you believe that you can do anything, get away with murder, it's okay, I will still go heaven. If you believe in that, then you will do anything. You don't really care. Let's just slaughter the pig in the most gruesome way so that we can enjoy life black. You see what I'm saying? This is what will, ha will happen when you don't care. After all, no consequences of people ever alive. If you believe that if you step on an end, and it's not you're going to be an end, huh? you could take a broom and sweep in front of you so that you don't step on a worm, let alone an end. Die, but you crawl your belly, you know. Because of what you believe, it's going to govern your choices, your action. So, number 10. It's very powerful. Buddha's number 10 always the most powerful one. It's very powerful. It is that which will lead you to make choices that will lead to the coming consequences or not. Positive and negative ones. You say, I Buddhist, I believe in karma, yes? When was the last time you picked a fight with someone? I leave it to you, huh? When was the last time you did something you're not proud of? When was the last time you, I don't know, went really greedy and lost control? Or scroll your name? All these have consequences in the mind. So over here, it is about not believing in karma, not believing there, no this world, no other world, not believing in rebirth, no father, no mother, not believing that there is such a need for gratitude, no heavens. And if there were no heavens, no hell, no consequences, then why bother to be ascetics and Brahmins of right conduct and right practice? Why bother to practice? You see what I'm saying? So this particular one, 
you hold the wrong view, you will bochow and just do whatever you like and the consequences will then follow, okay? Now, this is why we are here. Because of the threefold corruption, failure of bodily karma, and so on and so forth, so forth beings, beings are reborn in the plane of misery, in a bad destination, in the lower world, in hell. Because of all these activities. Now, what the Buddha laid down here are actions. Action manifested through something that the world can see and action, stealing, killing. These are things that people can see. Verbal actions, choices manifested as words that pops out the mind and energies that manifest in your mind, in your brain, only you know. Okay? What does it all mean? A mind that constantly acts on these actions, always scolding, always greedy, always stealing, cannot be restrained, etc. That mind becomes gross, heavy. How do I know that? Actually, you know that. You think of the time when you want to pick a fight with people, right? What does it do to your body? Your heart beats faster, your blood pressure goes up, you start to sweat more. <laughs> I'm checking out with my uh, medical personnel here. Things that cause your body to change in reaction to a mental state. It happens, so what happens in your mind starts to have an impact on your body. Can you just imagine the impact it has on the mind? So much energy that it manifests into your body. If you are greedy, you know, people go gambling, right? I know you're all told now, but you could observe someone who does, right? They go gambling. Their heartbeat will speed up. They get a good cut heartbeat, go up. They get a bad cut heartbeat, go up. <laughs> really, really? Really bad, huh? So greed also has this. You know how uh, you want to buy something and you're eyeing something, you want to buy it, and eventually you got it happy, you also shoot faster. Uh, the expression is skips a bit, a beat, right? Uh, no, I've never heard before. Really, seriously, never heard before. How about your favorite food, huh? Favorite whatever, favorite person. Etc. etc. All these have impact on the form, let alone your mind. So what does it mean? At the moment of death, when you are so used to a certain way of the mind, right? so used to a certain way of behaving, at the moment of death, that is exactly how it's going to behave. You understand? And if you are always, always generating anger or resentfulness, jealousy, only you know jealousy in your heart, 
when those energies surface in your mind, you actually don't feel good. The mind doesn't feel good. The mind feels tired. Do it often enough, the mind feels tired, feels heavy. That becomes the energy that will drag you down. It's very easy to remember. Go to hell, heavy, mind drops. So what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story was do the opposite love. As much as possible, undertake action that will lead the mind to feel light, to feel happy. So, if you go by that teaching, by that logic, what did the Buddha say? So, hang on, huh? the one that leads you to heaven, okay? Look at what the Buddha said. Aya. Uh, okay. The Buddha said, having abandoned destruction of life, you have chosen not to kill, you dwell compassionate, conscientious, kindly, compassionate. Seasonal compassion is not this hard. What is seasonal compassion? They have the show and then people come out and talk about the difficulties in which they had led their life and then you decide to call the precious number and donate $50. It's good, but that is seasonal compassion because not all the time they have shows, huh? <laughs> not all the time they come with something for you, huh? Then what is dwelling with compassion? To be able to dwell with compassion, you do have to have empathy, meaning you are able to step out of your own shoes and feel for another. If you can't feel for another, it is difficult to be truly compassionate. What does it mean by being able to step out of our own shoes? You know, the instinct, our instinct is always to protect number one. I like to use this word. Meaning yourself. You are an organic matter with a program that says preserve this life and interest at its, at, with all its might. That is your instinct. The moment at the point when you are able to not be caught up with yourself, you're not thinking about what's in it for you, you're not thinking about how it benefits you, your interest in the, pro, in the thing, when that thought, that thought doesn't arise, that is when you can be truly compassionate. As long as there is a thought arising that revolves around you, your compassion is not just seasonal, it's, um, how should we say? It's conditioned, it's temperamental. My, I feel good, I'm compassionate. I don't feel good, but compassionate. You have no compassion towards me. Think about it, okay? Can you feel compassion when you have anger? When you are restless and worrying, are you very compassionate? 
when you have a slight irritation because you woke up late, are you very compassionate? Usually not. Can't even bring that up. Because why? You don't feel good, ma. So every time I make you feel good, then you feel compassionate. That's why when they have all these charity shows, right, they will have very nice people, you know, kind people, they have all nice music, all your favourite music, you will feel good. Make you feel good. That's how temperamental we are. So, someone such as yourself deciding to abstain from killing the Buddha said, go further. To a point where you feel for another, you can then be truly compassionate. And don't expect anything. In the exchange. Okay? This is straightforward. I don't have to go into details. Don't steal. Don't go heaven, don't steal. Don't steal from government. Don't tear a fucking coupon anyhow. <laughs> Sexual misconduct, uh, I kind of assume that we all don't have an issue in this number three, uh, because it's actually quite straightforward. Uh, don't go around and have sex with people you should not. Okay. We typically have more problems here. False speech, false speech, divisive speech, hush speech, idle chatter. These are the ones that we have a bit more problem. So what the Buddha is saying, it's pretty straightforward for false speech, huh? tell the truth. You know, say you know, you don't know, say you don't know, don't fudge the issue, certainly don't tell falsehood to serve your purpose, okay? But this one is interesting. Look at how he said. Remember earlier on we were talking about the divisive speech, right? And we said that <clears throat> someone who has this tendency to go and create problems and divide people, that person ought to have anger, ill will, some degree of it, right? So you look, when you start to not do it, what are you? He is one who reunites those who are divided, he promotes unity, he enjoys concord, rejoices, delights in concord, and speak words that promote concord. Meaning to say, you go as far as to try and bring people together. People fight, you try to bring them together sincerely. Not for your ego, it is not about you, you how would you do something like this? It's usually if you have metta, a lot of metta, goodwill. And you should also have wisdom. If you want to promote concord, you better have wisdom. Huh? Otherwise, concord huh, really become discord. <laughs> you understand? So, if you truly if you are truly um, someone who wants harmony, the odds are you are actually someone with a lot of metta to begin with. Metta and even compassion, so the ego is not too big. There is kindness there. Then you will want to bring people together. 
Why do I say that? Most of us, unless we really have to, most of us would rather not get involved. Two people fight, you, your, the instincts you have yapping into your mind is don't talk people up. After that, Kena, K and A very fierce. So we walk away. Not wrong. I'm not saying it is wrong. I'm saying you need wisdom. Sometimes you should walk away. Sometimes you shouldn't. Example, your siblings are fighting. You say, no, nah, not my problem. I get involved for what? I walk away. Sure. Then your family will crack up. Lor. Then your parents will be heartbroken. Lor. What have you done? Nothing. I am not responsible for the two of them fighting, but what have you done? Nothing. Precisely, you did nothing. You didn't, you didn't even try. So, there are some situations where you have to do something, and before you step in, take care about the state of mind, be careful that your ego doesn't get in the picture, your ego goes in, you also discord with them. Uh, quite a few things to bear in mind. Develop your wisdom a bit more. You should be able to do it. If you have wisdom, if you know when to speak appropriately, with beneficial <laughs> honesty and so on. Okay? Okay, uh, harsh speech. The opposite is to be able to say words which are gentle, pleasing to the ear, lovable, courteous, Desired by many, agreeable to many. You know, when you read this on your own, you may be tempted to, okay, read, 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 move on. Okay, I've got what the Buddha said, enough, you move on. My strong advice to you is pause, give, give heed to these words. What is he? What is it say? What is he saying here? He's actually telling you to be proactive, to be able to give praise to another, honest praises, not this type. You know what this type is? Tripod. <laughs> it is not tripod. Honest praises. For someone who is able to give praise sincerely, honestly to another, the odds are this individual has contentment and gratitude. If you have no contentment and gratitude, all you have is give complaint not give praise. If you have contentment and gratitude and you are the sort who is able, who are able to speak upfront, honestly, kindly, your words of praise will come out. Because you're filled with so much joy. When you have gratitude and contentment, there is joy in your heart. Which is why in today's self-help therapy, 
they will tell you, take a moment, count the number of things you should be grateful for. And one of them actually says, for two weeks, for two weeks, every day you write three things you should be grateful for. At the end of two weeks, your brain will start to change. Because every day you force your mind to look for something that you should be happy about. You can do that. The mind, at the end of two weeks, will say, hey, this is a great world. Because 7 times 321 times 242 There's a lot of things to be happy about Suddenly the world doesn't look so bad You see what I'm saying? And don't cheat, uh, every day three things must be different uh. <laughs> And it can be simple thing No need to be the big one Someone call me sweet No, no, no Simple You walk up You felt a breeze it's a nice breeze. You see what I'm saying? I'm grateful for the breeze. Would you prefer that it rains? If it rains, you know, the rain makes the place cooler. This is nice. If there is sun, I got vitamin D. That is nice. <laughs> it's all about attitude. If you can simply just appreciate the fact that you can walk out and go to a job or that you can come home to a family if you can just appreciate that you will say life is going to be not so bad what? you everyday write three, okay? this one say two weeks seriously, this is actually someone actually said do it two weeks I say, oh, one week, try lah but we all not writer lah let me do that. Three things to be grateful for. Throw in one more. One thing to appreciate. And see how your mind starts to change. When that happens, when you feel more joyous, you actually feel good towards others. And that's how that praise comes out. You don't feel good how to have praise. Oh, I feel that's one very nice. Oh. <laughs> then that you're looking very uh, okay. That's our praise, huh? That's a mian chiang, huh? <laughs> Okay? When was the last time you thanked someone for cooking you a meal? When was the last time you thanked someone for... Uh, I don't know, bring you water? Or just be at home for you? When was the last time you did it? If you see a long mask, huh? You have a lot to learn. Start writing. <laughs> okay, now finally, not a family, it's just chatter. So this one I'm not going to repeat. I think earlier on we have really gone through what is not idle chatter, chatter, which is to only speak on things which are beneficial, which is on the dharma. Okay? And you see, uh, you must understand he was talking to Pikus. And so he was very strict about content of speech. We are lay people, uh, he will give us a bit of chance. <laughs> just make sure that your speech is not unpleasant. Not unpleasant, not just rambling on and on and on. You must put a full stop, okay? Tell yourself, in my speech, I know where to put the full stop. It shouldn't be half an hour later. Unless you're giving a talk. Okay, look at this one, number eight. Someone without longing 
someone of good will, intentions are free of hate. These two, what does it mean? No loba, no dosa. Instead, what you have is you flip it around, there is giving, giving. This, number eight, the opposite of which is chaga, giving. In another sutta, Buddha talk about four ways of going to heaven. Sadda, sila, chaga, panya. Sadda, faith, sila, sila, chaga, generosity. Okay. Generosity. Open heart, open mind. So you flip it around, you go from wanting people's things, longing, 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 which I told you the energy is heavy. If your heart is open and you are giving, truly giving, truly open, your mind will be happy it is right. If you are of the character, that finds it very easy to give. The heart is light. It is very difficult for you to give. Instead, you want the heart is heavy. Okay, the mind is heavy. So, full of goodwill, your intentions are free of hate. Be very careful. Huh? This is about the arising of anger, arising of ill will, that arising. Watch it. It can come up, you have to let it go. Okay? Otherwise, the mind is heavy. And finally, back to this thing about the right view. Earlier on, the wrong view. Right now, the correct one. If you say, I hold the right view, you got to believe it come up. I will say very good. Now practice. If you say you believe in karma, what does it mean? Huh? It doesn't just mean if you say I believe in karma, it doesn't just mean I believe there are consequences to my action. So I frighten. It doesn't mean that. Huh? It means you must believe your fate, not fate, your life is in your hand. Choices are yours to make. You must make the correct decisions, the right choices, and you will do good, do no evil by choice. You understand? To believe that there is things that you can do that can lead to consequences, you are the one in control now. Then you will make the right choices now. You, you are no longer in control of what's coming from the past. What are you talking about? Trying to fend it off with what? Those are past really, it doesn't matter. Your focus should be going forward, now forward. You are responsible for keeping this mind happy and free and clean. You are responsible for that. Okay, now look at this part. Because of the threefold success of bodily karma, reason from wholesome volition. So, with correct, skillful intention, you choose 
to be giving, kind, compassionate, and so on and so forth. With the with the breakup of the body after death, you are reborn in a good destination in a heavenly world. In this sutta, the Buddha actually came for you. Why you have to undertake certain actions and avoid others with the correct understanding and then going towards the heaven should be a given. If you say sure not, your sadder not strong enough. It's just like that. If your sadder is strong enough, you will go, okay, get it. But in case your sadder is not strong enough, I explain to you how it works. Okay? Every time the mind is angry, every time the mind has craving and it's strong, every time the mind has all the negativities, worries, fear, anger, laziness, you name all these, they are all heavy energy. Gross, heavy, you will feel it as unpleasant. You will feel all those mental states, which are actually just energy, as unpleasant. You don't. Then why do you want to push away anger? You know you shouldn't, but you still hold on to it. Why, why do I say, I know I shouldn't, but I hold on to anger? Because when we are angry, you will find your mind seeking reasons to justify that you are right. Your ego is at stake. I am right. This guy showing me no respect. I feel entitled. The ego is in the picture. And as you think about it, it will add the energy, you get more angry. You get angrier and angrier, it goes on a negative spiral. If you truly, truly don't like the feeling of anger, what would you do and what should you do? What we should do is, you want to not construct, construct in a positive way. I get angry, I clog up all my vessels, I'm the one who's going to live with this anger, he doesn't even know and doesn't even care. Why am I spending time, why am I spending more time on him and just losing sleep over it? You see what I'm saying? And I hang on and not worth my time. You will say it like this. Or I give you this nice one. God knows how. Don't know how many years from now I'll be dead, he'll be dead. Who really cares? If you can think like that, if you can think, if you want to talk, construct, construct in this way, I will die. In fact, I might just not die, I may get a stroke or get cancer. Hey, a lot of people get cancer. I may have problems. And then suddenly this minor tip really doesn't matter. You want to talk construct, it should be like this. Reasons for you to forgive and let go. That is your thought construction. Move on. Don't spend more time on an individual than he deserves. But, but the normal human being does it the other way around. The more you, you don't like someone, the more you think of someone. 
And so he goes to bed with you. He goes into the shower with you. In your most private moment, he's there with you. Yeah? Because we end up getting thinking of the time. That's the unfortunate thing. And then what happened? Your heart feels heavy. You feel tired. You feel restless. You feel no show, no song. Then see it. You have all these things. And then if you happen to have a heart attack at that moment, Tom C. And not a beetle in his shirt. Clinging on, clinging on to him. Hello? You know, I have a temperamental mind. I didn't know they have consciousness. <laughs> okay. So, when you are angry, when you have all those negative energies, all of them are worries, fear, self-righteousness, you name it, they all are, they belong to the category that drags the mind down. When you have that, and it becomes a habit, oh by the way, I can see it in your, your face, huh? If it becomes a habit, anyone can see in your face because your face will look very sad, look very angry. It will start to have a drag on the face. That alone on the mind. Can you imagine? It's beginning to show the wrinkles in the face. Let alone the damage it has done to your mind. Should we switch this off so that... Yeah. I'm switch it off. Yeah, it's okay. I'm done with this. So. Ah, now you can focus on me. Instead of going on zombie because of this blue light. Okay, and flip it around. Now we talk about how to generate the kind of positive energy that will take you to heaven. Remember, it's all about being able to generate the light, the happy, the positive energy that will take you upstairs. The way to do it is to find reasons to be grateful for life, to be happy about things. It's all mental thought construction. At one level, it is mental thought construction in a positive way. If you say that a Buddha say not like that, then no, actually, Buddha did two things for us, okay? He taught us the way, he has taught us the way to be able to tame the mind. Yes? It is via the Eightfold Path. It's... You want to do dana, dana, mangala, pair of mind. Thank you. Okay. One way is you successfully develop the skill to tame your mind. How do you do that? You begin to understand the features, the characteristics of this mind, what they really are. Buddha calls it Jnana Dasana Yatha Buddha. Seeing and understanding and seeing it as it is. Yatha Buddha as it is. This is the mind. Huh? Seeing and understanding the mind as it is. And what are we supposed to see and understand? It's essentially anicca, dukkha, anatta, conditionality. Everything that Buddha taught was to 
enable you to develop the conditions necessary for the mind to be able to see itself. Once you are able to see the mind for itself, are you able to let it go? Are you able to put down the burden? The burden of preserving your image, the burden of feeding, feeding this ego, the burden of fulfilling responsibilities that you held yourself up because the world will say, etc., 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 etc. If we say, oh, we're not quite there yet, because we haven't started with the developing the conditions. So very difficult to see the characteristics and how am I supposed to let it go? I try it, I try letting it go, but it always comes back to me. Okay, therefore, this portion of the practice, this is a critical portion. This is all the Eightfold Path. This is what the Eightfold Path is about. Huh? This portion of the practice, you say, I can't do it, then you must do part two. And what is part two? Generate the positive thoughts. You will have to say things. Thought construct. Why am I keep saying thought construct? Buddha talks about, for instance, reflection on death. What he's morbid and wants you to just reflect on death. No, reflecting on death is to keep reminding ourselves. Thought construction is to remind ourselves we will die. Let it go. We will die. It's okay. You convince yourself you'll die tomorrow, it's everything is okay. <laughs> sure. If you convince yourself you're gonna die tomorrow, if I say, hey, hello, sorry, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. But I just see everything left. Only 24 hours left for you. You say, oh, I'm gonna write my review, I wanna give away my things, I wanna make sure everybody gets what I want to give them. I must say I love you and you know what I mean? Suddenly all these wonderful things you want to do, you do in the last 24 hours. Entire life you want to do. Entire life couldn't do. Last 24 hours, I can't even go. Ask him to come back, ask him to come back. Entire life he doesn't come back, okay? You see what I'm saying? So, reflecting on death is one way of getting you to take a certain distance between yourself and what you want. If you can picture yourself lying on a slab about to go into the furnace, a lot of things to kill. You see what I'm saying? He cut you, okay lah. He cut you, okay lah. I'm going to die one, never mind lah. Okay. Reflection of death is one. What about the ones where he, he talks about thinking and reflecting on how people were kind to you, do good to you, um, your parents, eh? your parents, they have took care of you, brought you up from young, this, that, and other. Oh, what are these? These are thought instruction. It is reminding yourself to be grateful. Reminding yourself that there are beings in this world that you do owe a debt to. You know what I'm saying? These are all thought construction. Why have this? Because he also wants you, lay people like us, no time to practice, to be able to get it right. Your Mangala Sutta, some of you happily memorize in Pali, English words something something like okay. Not see okay. Your Bangala Sutta is a brilliant sutta that reminds us to be grateful. 
That's the beauty of the Mangala Sutta. You sit down and you look for things you can be grateful about. They're about 30 over, right? Ah, cover you for 10 days. <laughs> I live in a nice location. Full stop. Number one. My friends are all wise. The foolish ones, I don't go near. Three already. <laughs> Tomorrow we start the next block. You see what I'm saying? So, if you can't practice, can't get it right, you have no time, don't know what you do with your time, but never mind, you have no time, then do it this way. Number one, remind yourself of faith. Back to the sattva. Faith, what does it mean? If you do not have a Buddha Rupa at home, never mind. Print one out. Paste on the wall. <laughs> Put it on your iPad or handphone. I know you have a handphone. <laughs> have one to remind yourself that I am grateful to this teacher who left behind a teaching that can help me tame my mind. I am grateful that the teaching is still around. If I get it, I will be happy. I will be free from dukkha. I am grateful that there are practitioners around who can still show us the way. If you can say it like this in all sincerity, every day once, I'm not even asking you to do it three times eh? or five times, just once. Eh? You can do it. You have gratitude, you have faith. And you need to say it. That is why it, the Buddha, the chanting, it's a chanting with a rhythm that you can remember. Unfortunately, it is so successful, that's all you remember, the rhythm. No, you have to remember the words. The Buddha knew what he was saying. He, was, he, he walked the talk, he was a great teacher. He knew, just, he, everything he taught, he knew, he understood. He wasn't misleading us. And I'm grateful he came. That because of him, there is this Dhamma. You see what I'm saying? You have to say in a way you feel it, you believe it, so that it can build. It can build on the energy of faith. For those of you with faith, can you tell me, every time you bow, do you feel joy? Yes? Hey, joy, I start. Yes. <laughs> joy is yes. 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 Oh, this class. <laughs> Why? Because if you truly feel joy, if you truly have faith, you will feel joy and gratitude. Lah. If your faith doesn't come with joy and gratitude, your faith uh, is Pietia one. <laughs> it's what I will call Adda discount ready, not strong. Uh. Okay, so that faith is a very powerful energy. Uh. Okay? It's a very powerful energy. That is why you are told that if you have fear, 
you can bring out your faith, the your that faith, the energy will overcome the fear. The fear will fade away. Suddenly, your mind is that strong. For those with a lot of faith, their mind is very strong. Okay, that's how it works. Now, if you are a practitioner and you meditate and you begin to understand the Dhamma, your faith will be tremendous. Then the ones who haven't quite seen, then how are how to have faith? Huh? This is where you read about the Buddha magic law, the Buddha's magic, the Buddha's compassion, all the stories and the history of how associated with him had brought joy and comfort to others. Read up, know him. You don't know him how to have faith. Faith in a couple character cannot. You understand? So it is important to bear in mind faith is an energy, it can rise and it can grow. Okay, that's point one. And it's light, very light. Every time you're angry, you say no more the anger should fade. Okay? Should like if it doesn't work, you better do hard work harder on faith. Number one. Number two, sila, morality. You, you are happy, you should be happy, you restrain the mind. And again, it's a whole series of thought construction. The Buddha actually said, tell yourself, I have done good, I have not done evil. I will not be hauled away by the king's man. I have done good, I have not done wrong. When I die, this body break up, I will go to heaven. These are all thought construction. A Buddha told his disciple, do it. Tell yourself, I have done good, I have not done evil, people believe in me. You see that? There are all these words that makes you feel happy that you have Silla. We don't give enough credit to Silla. But now I ask you, test moment, exercise arm, left, right. Okay? Now I ask you this. You read Singapore Straits Times? You read Chao Pao Bao Pao? Uh, today, new paper, you read this, you read this. And you read, of course, online, uh, don't know what, don't know what, right? Okay. You read of someone who is rich, famous, powerful, he is uh, he's very well educated, you impressed not. The moment you know he stole money, you impressed not. <laughs> Everything you want will impress but you were once impressed by God. What killed it? What killed your adoration? Silla. The one thing that fought the poor guy? Silla. You think about it, not powerful. Is you take for granted everyone around you is Godzilla. Or rather you pretend that everyone has that. No, you think, I'll, I'll put it another way, okay? Let's just say you have this guy. He has no education. He is a nobody. He is, he has nothing. But he found money and returned it. What do you all do? Oh, I'm so impressed. Yes? Straight away to make money to him. <laughs> he got nothing man. he got nothing, he said for money, he gave back right? What would you do? Give him money, help him, support the man, or the woman, or the kid. What, what changed? The guy has nothing, all he has is silla. 
The other guy had everything, all he didn't have was Silla. So, don't underestimate the power of Silla. That is why the book does say, I have Silla, I'm a good sayer to the individual. I have Silla, I'm a good person. People know that. And he is happy. Only you, higher standard, didn't realize. <laughs> okay? Just remember this. So that's Silla. Chakra, earlier on I mentioned, it is about giving. Giving with the correct heart. Mind, open, heart, let go. Purest form of giving. Just go. And giving is not about money. Money is just one aspect of it. Time. Love. Lens. You got two. <laughs> Time. Love. Emotions. They're not easy, especially time. For Singaporean, we 24 hours. I got 24, you got 24, you take 24, and what? So, very difficult, you know? But to be able to give that time, good company, that's giving. Of course, Dhamma is giving. Okay? And finally, Panya. Now, Panya, you have different levels of Panya. Okay? And it's simplest. At its simplest is merely to say, if I have a lot of wanting, I will correspondingly have a lot of pain. If I learn to moderate, I will feel better. So I learn to moderate. This is the simplest form of wisdom. To you, it's just four noble through many words, okay or not difficult one. Until Something happens and it stares, the craving stares at you in the face. And then you have to say, it's okay, it's okay. That's when you realize it's not easy. Actually, the entire practice is about how well, how deeply you understand the very nature of dukkha, craving, Letting go and the method to do it. The entire practice is to understand this. Realization is realizing the Four Noble Truth entirely, not superficially. Ananda Tanabwek for saying, Patiche Samupada very easy. Did you know Patiche Samupada is the Four Noble Truth? It's embedded in it. It's embedded in it. And at the highest level with realization, that's when you realize how they are intertwined. Okay? Before that, it's all about the simple one. Okay, okay, ah, yeah, never mind, never mind, I let it go. It's okay, it's okay, I don't hold on to it. This little, little thing you can do, that's wisdom. That is wisdom. Wisdom is not score straight A in exam. Wisdom is not how well we can quote Pali. Wisdom is being able to understand the very nature of your mind and therefore why the mind experiences unpleasantness. And then to be able to learn how to moderate this 
improving. Okay, and the Buddha said, if you can develop these four mental energies, you can also go to heaven. So the other about ten, there's one about four. I let you choose one. Do I have to repeat? Sada, Silla, Jaga, Mania. Okay? So, that concludes the talk. Going to heaven is to keep your mind light. Keep it happy, keep it light, keep it happy. Learn to really be able to appreciate the moments in life. Light, light, do it regularly. Uh, only at the end and try very hard. Uh. Uh, what's that? That Chinese phrase, Ping Si Pu Sao Xiao? Ah, the rest, you all know. Fo Jiao, right, right, right. Okay. So, regularly, you have to remember action, the correct action, the correct uh, mental states. And then when the time comes, no scare. You'll be fine. Okay? Thank you. Question? Yes, yes. How are you going to drag the wire all the way there? Okay, Dana, Dana, Mangala needs mic. Thank you, Sister Sylvia. I want to go to heaven. I would like to ask a very fundamental question if I may. The Buddha did only discover the karma and the coming of karma. Now, my fundamental question is who, what, where, when, how was this dharma and karma? How did it come about? That's a very fundamental question. And I think in the scriptures, there's an answer to it. Buddha, we believe that Buddha 
was the person who realized Dhamma on his own. So if you ask when, I'll say 2,500 years ago. If you say where, I will say Bodhigaya. <laughs> if you say how, I say he meditated a long time. <laughs> but then you would say Dhamma when, I don't know. When, when, when was the first No, there is no first happen. No, no, the reason why I say... No, the Big Bang is a... I, I agree with... I have, no, I have no quarrel with the Big Bang. But are you aware that scientists are beginning to postulate, hypothesize, sorry, they are beginning to hypothesize that the Big Bang is not the beginning. That there were other Big Bangs, there were other dimensions of the universe. So when we talk about universe and cosmology, I don't think we are in a position to, to go deep into them. In the, in the first place, these are all speculations. I like science a lot. I read and, and watch documentaries all the time. I really like them because they, they are being pursued by people who want evidence. And evidence, evidence talks to me. Okay? So, what we do know is we really don't know the beginning. There doesn't seem to be one, which is what the Buddha said. The Buddha had said, don't go looking for the beginning. You wouldn't find it. You don't know. And he will not answer questions on the beginning either. Because when you talk about the beginning, you work on a certain premise that there must be a beginning. That's a premise. How do we know that the premise in the first place is correct? So the Buddha's position is no, don't go into that. And you can never know anyway. Okay. So back to this Dhamma, right? The beginning, 2,500 years ago. But he said he rediscovered it. It, it the, the philosophy, not philosophy, the, the how would I call this? The principles. The principles of Dhamma. What is that? It is essentially principles governing the nature of the mind. And that principle will always be there whether or not someone unveiled it. They, this is purely the principles of how the mind works. And others before him have on their own discovered this principle. Others after him will also discover this principle. The only issue is when the principle has already been discovered and that knowledge remains around, pure, meaning it is consistent with the original teaching. During that period, the next person cannot come along and say, I discover it because the knowledge is already present. However, men being men with so many thought constructions in so many multiple ways, one day will mess it up 
mug it up and forget the principles. So that's how Dhamma is lost. The knowledge of the way the mind works will one day fade away. Fading away as a result of man's ego, construction, ignorance, greed, you name it. Okay? Because of all that, there will be confusion first, meaning there will be many versions of it. So some degree of confusion. After a while, the ones which are not the correct principles will become viewed as the conventional ones. The conventional understanding. That's the correct one. And then the, the original ones will start to fade. The teachings, the original teachings by Buddha will start to fade away. It's just normal, up and down. Something that will happen anyway. Okay, now, with regards to karma, it's the same, it's the same idea. The difference is, Buddha didn't discover karma. Karma was a concept that the Vedic faith and the teachers, the other teachers of the day, they all argue over it. Okay? For those of you who go for classes in, in, in a, a Buddhist Pali college, you should know. The idea of karma, there were all these big debates. Yes or no, is there such a thing as karma? For those who say yes, there's karma, there are the debates over it's absolutely deterministic or no lah. It's like the Buddha, middle path. Not absolutely deterministic. It has an impact, but it also has its own limitations. And you must know how to manage it wisely. That's all. So, uh, exactly where it came about? Don't know. Can find it in the Vedic faith somewhere. They talk about it. Why, why do you think they do um, sacrificial rites? Because for the Brahmanas of the Buddha's time, they believe they are performing good karma by making sacrifices. Fire sacrifices, fire sacrifices, or even life sacrifices. Originally was life sacrifices. After the war, fire sacrifices. So, when it comes to this concept of karma, it's not Buddha's domain. But today, because we are only familiar with the Buddha's definition, we, then we start. Some start to believe that oh, only Buddha's disciples talk about it. No, it's not. It's all over during his time. Okay. Anyone else? Uh, when you talk about heaven, uh, which part of heaven? <laughs> <laughs> Upstairs, Mona. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, fair point. Buddha, Buddha had in his... You just you go into the suttas, okay? Many, many, many suttas mentioned about different types of light being. Why do I say light being? Because it's always mentioned in the Sutta, they will come in the flesh of light. So very light, right? as in bright, light, light, they are energies. Okay? Uh, and it is 
believe in Buddhism, taught in Buddhism, that there are what, 31 planes of existence. Uh, you all know better, uh, the 31 planes of existence. The bulk of which is upwards. There's only four downwards and one us. And everything else is upwards. Okay? Now, what do I say? What I find interesting is your action, the nature of your mind, how pure, how great, how good, that determines what kind of a light being you are. And they got inferior, superior one. I know, I kid you not. Because of the gradation of the things that they do in their lifetime, it then leads to them having different grades. More power, softer, live longer, uh, looks better, looks better, and so on and so forth. Now, you think that, eh, sure, not. I ask you, in your own world, you got protection. In your own world, Singapore will say, uh, no, we are equal. I'm sure. <laughs> of course. But go to another land where there are what, royalty and aristocracy and then there is the natural class and so on and so forth. You have the caste system, you have the class system. And you like it or not, even in Singapore, we have some kind of a gradation amongst ourselves. There will be the individuals you intuitively consider oh, good, good. Then you'll be the individual of no good or no good. You do that. When you ask your kids to study, what do you ask them to do? <laughs> ah, this one is <laughs> So in your heart, in your mind, you also have gradations. Naturally, up there, given the karma, also end up with gradations. But they are, they, they are differentiated by the the length of the life, the beauty of the look, the kind of power they command, and so on and so forth. Very cute, right? We'll just get out there, can we? Like? <laughs> <laughs> you, need, you need to aspire. Okay? Anyone? Sister Suga, another question. We often hear from teaching to say that going to heaven is not out of samsara. Being a Buddhist, how to make those get out of samsara and not just go to heaven. Heaven is the part where you continue to do good, you get enlightened, you get the ultimate nibbana. We may also fall down, and that many times we have been born there, many times as well, in our past life, we are going to the samsara. So I know we are saying good, good, we go to heaven, but surely the ultimate goal is not to go to heaven, but to get out of heaven. Yeah, that's the first part. As I mentioned earlier that there are two parts. Part one, going by the Eightfold Path to realize the Dhamma, to realize Nibbana. The mind learns to... What the Buddha said in his suttas, to be able to put down the burden and it knows that it has lived life. That's it. It's bearing it. The words are bearing its final body. And to do that, that is about completely embracing the Eightfold Path. 
developing the kind, remember what I said earlier on, developing the conditions in your mind that make it possible for the mind to see the Dhamma. What is seeing the Dhamma? Realizing step by step, anicca, dukkha, anatta, seeing the Four Noble Truths as it truly is, realizing conditionality is part of the, this realization. You can do that. What the Buddha had said, to be able to see it as it is, having the knowledge and seeing it as it is, you can do that. You will, for a start, begin to enter the stream where you learn to let go of some things, some, some fetters drop. By the time you get to round two, when you are able to moderate your craving and therefore the anger, you only have one life left. You are one sweetener. Um, if you're finally able to let go of the craving, no more, no more arising of anger and craving. You will end up as a non-returner, meaning when you die, end up in a Subhavasu heaven. It. You realize Nirvana then? Or you are Arahant, no more arising. So you are absolutely right. Ultimately, the big prize is about realizing Nirvana. So that there will no, be no more birth, no more arising. It's, it is as if the light had been extinguished. There will be no more arising. But to do that, you have to start by being able to put in place five mental conditions. That's your step one. What are these five mental conditions? Sadhu, Virya. In this level, at this level, it's not called Siddha, it's called Virya. Sati, Samadhi, Panya. Sadha, same as before, but this Sadha will grow and grow very strong because this Sadha is based on everything you see, you associate the Dhamma, the Dhamma lives in you. The Sadha comes alive. Virya, Virya is about trying to keep the mental space completely clean. I know it has been translated as energy, but you go into the Sutta, every time you read the word Virya, Buddha will say, if there is no, if there is an unwholesome thought in the mind, purge it. If there is no akusala thought in the mind, don't let it come up. If there is a kusala thought in the mind, grow it. If it's not, then bring it up. This is essentially to keep the mental space pure. You are generating energy to keep doing that. Why must you keep this mental space pure? Because you want to do sati samadhi, there must be a way in which you can teach your mind to shh, don't jump around so much. Stay still, stay quiet, I want to observe you. 
and not just observe, I have to observe with a certain understanding in mind. And everything that I observe, I can remember so that I can compare it with my Dhamma. The Dhamma you have to collect it. So Sati Samadhi non-negotiable. Meditation. Ah. And finally, to develop the Panya, store it with all kinds of correct understanding of the Dhamma, and to be able to use what you are observing about the nature of the mind to compare it with that Dhamma. Then you begin to understand. All these mental conditions have to be developed correctly. You can develop this, you will begin to be able to see the very feature of Anicca. Why the Buddha always say, what is Anicca? Is it Dukkha or Sukkha? And the monks always reply, Dukkha. It is not because they are memorizing. So Buddha asked one question, this is the correct answer, Gibuddha. It is not. It is because in their meditation, they will see a mind. What does it mean by Anicca in the mind? Seeing Anicca as it unfolds. Down to the level of clarity. And as it looks at that unfolding mind, it realizes that this unfolding mind is experiencing Dukkha. It's not a logical thing. It's in this flip-flop, flip-flop nature of the mind, there is the sensation of Dukkha. And in seeing this Dukkha, in observing this Dukkha, Buddha asks you, when it is Dukkha, with what is Dukkha? Is it correct to call it Atta or Anatta? And the reply, Anatta. If you stare at Dukkha as a feature of the mind, are you then going to say, I have a soul, it is Dukkha? No, no. You won't. But all these are realized in meditation. First, first kind experience in meditation first. And then you have no more doubt. Absolutely no more doubt. Bhutra's Dhamma too. <laughs> and then you will realize. If you begin to realize, and you see it day in, day out, again and again, the nature of the mind, it runs by itself. You can't really control it. It just runs. When I say it runs by itself, I'm not saying thought runs by themselves. Huh? That means you're out of control. I'm saying the mechanism. What is the mechanism? Mechanism for everyone is the same. If I look across the room, my eye, if the eye works, this eye in contact with an object, the mind will register. It is a mechanism. If my ear works, there is a sound being produced. There is an object producing sound. My ear will capture that vibration. My ear consciousness will experience it as sound. To you, you may say, uh, so? So is another. Uh, so this is another. This is another. Everyone has a mental process that goes like this. 
contact. With contact comes feeling. With feeling comes craving. Everyone does say. Ah, why is this anatta, huh? Because when you have ignorance, it will lead you to a point you automatically crave. You like it, you crave. You don't like it, you push it away. It's automatic. So that's why we all have a problem. How do you break it? You can see it as it is. It will start to diminish. And as it gets to, when it starts to diminish, after a while, if you are very skillful, the letting go is natural. It's just natural. Okay. Uh, hello, sister. I just want to ask something that is a bit more practical. Um, yeah, we talk a lot about the mental stage, right? Especially even ill that one that I think is easy for, to understand and try to overcome it. But for me, I'm always guilty of planning. I just love to plan. It's always in my head. I like, yeah, like you mentioned, go to the toilet or go wherever you, you just keep planning because the satisfaction of things coming into place. Uh, that, that actually just make it make it more and more. So do you have any tips on how to overcome this planning and everything? Thank you. Buddha's Dhamma is practical. It is meant for us to lead a happy life. If you if you experience dukkha properly, you feel stress. What's dukkha? Stress. Tired, sienna. All this is dukkha. And it happens to the best of us. The kindness of us. One day, take me for granted, I also see it. The kindness of us. Okay. And the dukkha's dhamma, the Buddha's dhamma is the way for you to use to stop your planning. Planning in itself has a lot of craving. You don't plan when you have no craving. You plan only when you have craving. I want this. Let's work out the steps on how to get there. One, two, three, four, five. Then one A, B, two, two A, B, three A, B. There's a lot of joy involved. Do you know why you have joy when you're doing these things? Partly ego. Partly is because the mind is focused. When the mind is focused, the mind actually feels okay. If the mind loses that concentration, that is when the mind doesn't feel that good anymore. You understand? So part of the habit of planning has to do with that you are enjoying the planning process. It's delighting it. Is it wrong? It's not wrong. It makes you happy. It's not wrong. But it is wrong if you want to see Nibbana. If you want to see Nibbana, this planning, planning, planning thing merely feeds a mind that delights, delights, delights. So it can't take you closer to Nibbana. But if you don't care, Nibbana makes fellow do la. I I I wear also atas. I can't handle the Nibbana part. I think I just handle happy. Ah, uh, can lah. Then don't ever mind. Continue plan. <laughs> plan for Mangala. <laughs> it all really depends on what you want. You see, 
if you want to have a glimpse of the Dhamma, you will know that when you go for meditation retreat, the first thing they take away from you is your handphone. Cannot plan anymore. And then they take away your pen and paper. They ask you to just stay, think, look at the mind. Ayah, die already. <laughs> That's where you feel to arrest such a big, big way. <laughs> but it's okay. The actual planning itself is just an activity. But just know this. Planning doesn't take you towards the partner. It merely feeds this one thing, one thing. Okay? So moderate that also. Okay, I think it's time. Uh, <clears throat> thank you very much, uh, Sylvia. Okay, let me say it. Sadhu Sri Khan. Sadhu Sadhu And those people who don't actually understand Anisha, Doko uh, and Nata, next Monday I'll be conducting this sharing session. So, if you are not able to understand these three marks of existence, probably you are not prepared to go up there. <laughs> Stay behind with me. <laughs> so come, come on Monday, okay? Okay. Thank you. Thank you.